This podcast contains disturbing content. Please take care while listening. Amanda DeRose and three other teenagers were stranded out in the Arizona Strip, a sprawling, arid piece of land south of the Utah border and north of the Colorado River. It's incredibly remote. The Grand Canyon almost completely cuts it off from the rest of Arizona, which means St. George, Utah is the closest city by car. But that was still 92 miles away. They didn't have a working radio or a vehicle. They were low on water and food, and the sun was setting. It was May 9th. Michelle Sutton's body lay on the ground. Amanda and the others had been unable to resuscitate her. And according to Amanda, their counselors, Ruth and Lance, were nowhere to be seen. At that point, it became very real that like, holy shit, we're gonna die out here. They left us and what are we gonna do? We don't have radios, we don't have food, we don't have water outside of what we had found. Amanda remembered they had hiked by a little cabin a few hours before. It was most likely used by National Park Services to store supplies. The group backtracked, found the cabin, and broke in. They were looking for food. We found like two of those, uh, you know, freeze-dried military-style mills that were in there. And I remember us opening them and sharing those between the four of us. Out of all of them, Amanda was the only one who had learned how to make a fire with a bow and drill. The group gathered brush from the area, which is populated with juniper trees and sagebrush. Amanda lit three fires in the shape of a triangle, an international distress signal. And the teenagers kept those fires burning all night long. There were four of them, Amanda, Chad, Kurt, and Andrea. How are the other kids reacting to Michelle's death and then being next to her body throughout the night? Every one of us were reacting pretty much the same, shocked, crying, terrified. They placed a blue tarp over Michelle's body. We covered her up. We were afraid that she'd be cold. All of us were very sensitive to her still as almost, oh, she was alive, you know? We had a lot of nightmares that night that all of us felt like we could have done something different to stop it. All night, the four of them replayed the events of that day, wishing that they could turn back time, do something, anything, to save Michelle. But what could they have done realistically? This could have turned deadly for any of them. In fact, it still could. We were really seriously thought that we were just going to be left out there. We weren't certain what was going to happen to us. They made it through the night. And then, around 7 a.m., a small plane flew overhead. We saw a plane, a private plane, and when they saw us, they tipped their wings, and we knew we were seen, finally. How did you feel when you saw that plane? Thank God we're getting out of here. We're saved. We're not going to die. Amanda remembers the plane disappearing, and then about an hour later, National Park Services arrived in another plane, And then hours after that, two vehicles pulled up. It was the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, and the Mojave County Sheriff's Office. At that point, it had been about 20 hours since Michelle died. Amanda said that once help finally arrived, Ruth and Lance rejoined the group. Apparently, they had been close by the whole night, just out of view. And uh, then Ruth and Lance came back out again once they saw the state vehicles coming in to, you know, to the body. That's when they came back out of the tree line. Michelle's body was taken away by a helicopter. 
Amanda and the four other kids waited to see what would happen to them. She told me that the night that they spent out in the desert, the night of May 9th, the four of them said one thing to each other over and over, one thought to keep hope alive. If they were rescued, then at least they could go home. Their hellish experience at Summit Quest would be over. We were all constantly, like, talking about how, even though that was super terrifying, that we're going to get out now, we're not going to have to worry, their parents would never make us stay, and that, you know, they're going to find out, and they're going to come, and they're going to rescue us. And that's not what happened at all. From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist. This is Season 7, Episode 5. Gail Palmer, Far From Over. I'm Hannah Smith. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen to all episodes of Season 7 of The Opportunist ad-free now at castmedia.com slash castplus. Follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. According to the case incident record taken by the National Park Service, Amanda and the other kids were interviewed by Detective Hadlock from the Mojave County Sheriff's Department. Detective Hadlock did not reply to my interview request. Lance and Ruth were also interviewed for the case incident record. They stated that this was the first class Summit Quest had ever sent out and that they were both unfamiliar with the area where they were hiking. After everyone was interviewed, they were transported back to St. George, where Gail Palmer was waiting for them. And how did she interact with you? You know, what did she say? Empathetic. But, you know, when we say we want to talk to our parents, she's like, they don't want to talk to you guys right now. You know, we just think it's for the best. We wanted so bad to talk to our parents. And Gail felt like it was for the best that we didn't. She told our parents the same thing, apparently. So Gail really promoted to the parents not to speak with us and told us that the parents didn't want to speak with us. The scene at the Summit Quest headquarters was chaotic, swarming with police officers and BLM personnel. Amanda and the other three kids were sort of pushed to the side in all of that. David Teo got a call on May 10th to come to Summit Quest. We heard from David in episode one. He was a college football player at the time in St. George, and he'd been hired to transport Michelle to Summit Quest just a week before. The call he received on May 10th was from a male Summit Quest employee, but David doesn't remember his name. He called me, said they need assistance at the facility. I believe he promised me a couple hours out of that. David wasn't told much just to come to Summit Quest. When he arrived, he was left alone with the four teenagers. The kids were all crying. Everyone was saying, I want to call my parents. I want to go home. And they just kept saying, I want to go home. Consistently, repeatedly, throughout like every minute, just crying and saying that. So it's to the point where I'm like, man, what, what, what's going on? But none of them would tell him. They just kept crying and asking to call their parents. Finally, David thought, I'll ask Michelle what's going on. Michelle knows me. But I didn't see Michelle. So I'm looking around and I look at the boy. I said, hey, where's Michelle? And then he just starts crying. Like it was 
she died. David had been worried when he dropped Michelle off that she might not be ready for an intensive outdoor program. And now he was hearing what seemed to be impossible. She was dead? He said all the kids started speaking at once through their tears, telling him that Michelle had run out of water on the morning of May 9th and then hiked all day. I'm like, okay, why need you guys just get her water? So we couldn't. They told us not to give her water. They're basically saying if I shared my drink, I would be in, in a world of hurt myself. And one of the teens was, was saying that they thought she was faking it. Who thought she was faking it? The wilderness guide person, the staffer, was saying that she was faking her stumbling, being delirious out there. David said before he knew any of this, he had been told by someone at Summit Quest not to let the kids call their parents. The male staffer said no one's calling their parents. That's what he'd said. And he didn't give a reason behind it. And obviously to me it was, uh, I think they just didn't want that information leaked out. But then David, who was only 20 years old at the time, was left alone with these four teenagers who were clearly traumatized. They needed help. And he started to wonder, what was Summit Quest going to do to help them, if anything? They were witness to something that they shouldn't have witnessed. And there was no one from the staff to have a individual there to comfort these kids. The kids were just left to kind of um, absorb it with me. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on. You know, and I had to kind of figure things out. So I'm like, you know what? Call your parents. Yeah, it was the wrong thing to do for a company's perspective. But if you're not going to help these kids, then you don't deserve to have these kids. David told them to call their parents, although the details of what happened next are fuzzy. As far as he can recall, he thinks at least one of the teenagers was able to get a hold of their parents before Summit Quest realized what was going on. David was told to go home, and he was never offered work from Summit Quest again. But he has never forgotten that day, or Michelle Sutton. I think that's the whole sad thing about it, that she was willing to go get whatever help that she needed and put her life in the hands of these idiots, and they took it. Amanda told me the details of May 9th, the day Michelle died, are burned into her memory forever, but not so much the direct aftermath on May 10th. She does remember that after less than a day in St. George, she was taken back, back out to the desert. I just remember it being so short that we were there, and then they were just driving us right back out there again. As hard as it might be to believe, the kids were sent back to the desert to complete the 63-day Summit Quest program, Gail Palmer had called their parents and convinced them that this was best, that sending them home right now would interrupt their healing process. According to a complaint later filed by attorney Thomas Burton, Gail told the kids that their parents didn't want to talk to them, and she encouraged the kids to, quote, not be quitters like Michelle and go back out and complete the 63-day program. Gail had a lot to gain by keeping these kids at Summit Quest. For one, she wouldn't have to return anyone's money. Additionally, 
She could keep these kids, the ones who really knew what happened to Michelle, isolated from the outside world and the media. But what about law enforcement? You'd think if a 15-year-old girl died in a program that the police would immediately step in and shut the program down. But remember, in May of 1990, there were no regulations in place in Utah for wilderness therapy programs. It was unclear to law enforcement if Gail Palmer had actually broken any laws. The Mojave County Sheriff's Office in Kingman, Arizona, opened an investigation into Michelle's death. But while that was ongoing, Summit Quest was allowed to keep operating. Amanda and the four other teens were sent back out into the desert to complete the 63-day program. How did that feel to you that they were driving you back out there? That we were going to die. We really all thought we were going to die. We're just going to be shipped right back out to die. We were terrified. We were absolutely terrified. I just remember us walking out and them saying, get back in the van, we're taking you guys back out to the field. That's, I, I don't remember anything much more than just being shocked because we were going back out. Who the hell would send us back out there? Someone just died. Someone had just died. And yet very little changed at Summit Quest. They were given working radios and a vehicle for emergencies. But everything else was pretty much the same. So from that point on, we had a vehicle and we had radios and water. But the same amount of water was given to us. It's just our water ration was more accessible because it was in the back of the truck, so they wouldn't lose it. What was the rest of the program like, you know, after Michelle's death? They were more strict, um, which didn't even seem to be possible, but they were. We weren't allowed to talk about it, and we weren't allowed to talk about it with the other students either. But still just the same intensive hiking, you know. And that was months, months longer that we were out there. We really thought we were going to die. Summit Quest was supposed to be a therapeutic program, and yet Amanda and the others did not receive any therapy or support in processing what they had been through. Instead, they were forbidden to talk about Michelle. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash castplus. You can follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. So thank you. Amanda endured two more months in the desert long, arduous hikes, limited food and water, and abuse from the counselors. Every once in a while, Gail Palmer would come visit them and bring a treat or some kind words. Despite the fact that Amanda hated Summit Quest, she never blamed Gail back then. It wouldn't be until years later that Amanda realized Gail was behind all of it. But at the time, she said Gail felt motherly. I never recall hating Gail. I always recall thinking when we saw her, it was a good thing because she was nice, like I said, you know. And, and it was like good news always. It was either letters or a candy or sometimes she'd bring this bully on for our food. But Gail was the one who had hired Ruth and Lance and Murdoch, Summit Quest's field director. Gail approved the harsh conditions. Murdoch also paid visits to the group out in the desert. 
but the kids were not excited when he showed up. God, just, just a bad man, just evil man. I hated him so bad. I'm highly claustrophobic, and at one point of camp, he took and he wrapped me up in a tarp, and then he put bungee cords around it, and he strung me up between two trees and made me sit there with my body just mummified, you know? And he just thought that was so funny to watch me feel so scared, and God, I hated him. Things were so bad that Amanda thought about trying to escape. But honestly, it seemed impossible, like a sure death sentence. I don't think anybody could survive walking out because they they make sure that they own your equipment so that they can control you with it. So say you turned 18 out there, they can say, fine, go ahead and walk out. But your shoes are ours, your socks are ours, those water bottles are ours, your sleeping bags are ours, your clothes are ours. So you'll have to walk out in your underwear. They'd say that to us all the time. I ended up getting a really bad kidney infection. I ended up getting a UTI that then just went to my kidneys and it took months for it to get bad enough, but my back was all distended and swollen. It got so bad, Amanda was finally driven to the ER. The emergency doctor had me locked away in this room and he wasn't letting the staff come in there. He, you know, he was really concerned about putting me back out there because of the state I was in. My body physically, you know, I was so malnourished and cut up, bruised up. My kidneys were you know, they had a drain bolt of them. Like I said, I had a horrible UTI and he was concerned because of the lack of food we were eating, that the antibiotics would be hard on my system. So he kept telling them, you need a feeder. And they're like, we're not going to feed her. So give us the antibiotics. We'll let her have five raisins before she eats one. And the doctor kept trying to call the cops. He just kept saying, this just doesn't seem right to me. How are they able to do this? You know? So he was trying to do everything he could to keep me from going back out but that didn't matter. They just took me back out anyway. Amanda's parents signed paperwork legally giving Summit Quest guardianship over her, so the doctor had no power to stop them from taking Amanda back. But part of the horror of Amanda's story is all of the times that adults saw the state that she was in, saw what was happening to her, and yet nothing was done. From the moment that she was kidnapped out of a sizzler in Provo to the horrible day that she watched Michelle die and wasn't allowed to give her water, to the aftermath in St. George, all of those adults, government employees, law enforcement, and now this doctor, they saw what was happening to her and either didn't or couldn't step in. Amanda knew no one was coming to help her. She just had to survive. And then finally, one day in July in 1990, it was over. Amanda woke up and was told, today is the day you get to see your parents. It was the run-in, the end of the program in which the kids are made to run for miles to get to the place where their parents are waiting for them. But before they could start running, they were told one other thing by Summit Quest. There would be a news crew at the run-in. What Amanda and the other kids at Summit Quest didn't know is that while they were out there in the desert, forbidden from discussing Michelle's death, their experience at Summit Quest had become national news. And so it was really important that we make it look really good and be so happy. And and if your parents didn't like what they were seeing, they could have you sent back out. So, you know, you're just really scared to not have to go back. That's what I remember is not wanting to be with them, but not wanting to be there either. So, you know... Just fear, a lot of fear. It was a threat that would be used to control Amanda until the day she turned 18. It was the worst possible thing she could imagine, being sent back to Summit Quest. 
And so she did what she was told. They said, start running. You'll find your parents. And as I was running, I felt so like I could just collapse after just a few steps because like my body was just so, you know, pumping with adrenaline and fear. And yeah, it was really bad. The truth was, Amanda was not excited to see her parents. She felt so deeply betrayed by them, so horrified that they would send her to a place like this. I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe how it felt. You were just so happy that you survived, I guess. Not happy to see them. Just you get to finally eat and you're not trapped. And, you know, you felt glad that you were finally free. I don't know. Just not glad to be back there with them, but anything to get out of Summit Quest. That's how I remember feeling. I couldn't wait till I turned 18 and never speak with them again. That's what I remember thinking at the time. And then, just like that, Amanda was back in the world. She was underweight and filthy from months of not showering. My parents were really shocked to see how thin I had gotten. And like, we were so dirty. I remember that we had to use scrub brushes for like a good solid week it took to get that dirt out of my pores on my body, you know. Remember, they were only given two quarts of water a day, and that had to be used for drinking, cooking, and bathing. No one wanted to waste that precious water on bathing. I remember we were at the gas station about to leave St. George, and I remember um, my dad was draining the cooler water from, you know, the cooler that he had in the back of his truck, and I went and closed it and started crying. How can you do this? You're wasting water. What are you thinking? Like the mentality that we were in at that point was very much still survival. Seeing water go to waste like this sent Amanda into a panic. For months, it had been the most precious commodity. She had watched someone die in front of her from not having enough of it. The adjustment back to her pre-Summit Quest life was rough. I slept on the floor for months. I couldn't sleep in my bed. I rationed my food. I counted my toilet paper squares. I had nightmares every single night that they were going to take me back. You know, like my stomach was literally completely distended. Just, I think I was, I was like maybe close to 70 something pounds, maybe even less. It was horrible. You were starving to death all the time. I stayed very, very, very thin after that for quite some time. But uh, eventually, I think it took about five or six months, and I slowly got my diet back to where it was more normal. When Amanda got back from Summit Quest, she was malnourished, underweight, and deeply shaken. And yet, she was complacent. She did what her parents told her to do. She didn't argue with them. She didn't cause problems. She didn't try to run away from home. And she thinks that her parents interpreted that as proof that Summit Quest had worked. Remember, before Amanda went into Summit Quest, she had run away from home for nine months. I said to my parents, when you were watching the news and you found out, you know, about her dying, did you want to pull me out? And they said, well, actually, when we were watching the news, all they knew there was there was a female victim in Summit Quest that had died. They said, actually, we didn't know who had died. And I said, you didn't. And they said, no, we just knew it was a female. And we thought it was for sure you because you were the worst one out there. And all we said, we could think right then was, well, at least we know where her body is. When Amanda was a runaway, her parents were terrified that she would die. They perceived her life choices as so destructive and dangerous that 
She would never grow up. She would never get to be an adult. And they clearly thought that death was imminent for her. So much so that when they heard that a girl died at Summit Quest, they were sure it was their daughter. That is how desperate they felt things were. And so the fact that she was alive and she was home, it made it all worth it to them. Even when they had to seek out additional help because Amanda was clearly traumatized, plagued with nightmares every night. She said every time she closed her eyes, she saw Michelle's lifeless face looking back at her. And then I did some reverse hypnotism, like some counseling, because I could not close my eyes without seeing Michelle and her body decomposing and her eyes doing that. And that was from the time after her death, clear up until I'd say at least December, you know, following that. That I, and that's when we finally found a counselor that they just had me go back and tell the story backwards. And that was the first time that I was able to start to sleep without seeing her, seeing it, like I could see it happen, but not like I could before that, you know? It was so traumatic to revisit all the time. And yeah, it was, it was really tough to get that out of my mind. There were also the letters Amanda wrote to her parents during her time at Summit Quest. She told me that the counselors read her letters and they wouldn't send them unless they approved of the content. And so Amanda's letters painted a glowing picture of Summit Quest. Oh, we had such a wonderful day. We hiked, saw so many beautiful things. I caught a rattlesnake. We ate it. Uh, You know what I'm saying? It was like everything you did was painted in this beautiful way so that your parents thought it was all sunshine and rainbows while you were out there. Even though Amanda said she hated her parents at the time, she still wrote them letters. She did this so that she would get letters back, contact with the outside world, which became some kind of lifeline for her. But those letters and Gail Palmer had been convincing Amanda's parents for months that Summit Quest was helping her, saving her life. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. By the time Amanda returned home, wilderness therapy programs were all over the news. Kristen Chase had died while at Challenger. Steve Cartesano and Gail Palmer were being investigated, but neither of them had been criminally charged. When the national media started getting involved, I wanted the world, I really wanted the world to know what happened to Michelle. And what I was learning was not just her alone, it was happening to other children as well. And many of them survived. And I just felt for them because I knew that they were still carrying that pain. And I wanted their voices to be heard as well. Kathy Sutton had been given a copy of Michelle's journal, which documented the progression of Michelle's sickness and how she was continually ignored and berated by her counselors. 
She also spoke with Detective Dale Lint and found out that Michelle's group had been lost the day she died, that their radios weren't working. Wendy Takuda was a reporter and co-anchor for KPIX in San Francisco, and she did a segment on wilderness therapy programs in the summer of 1990. This was the first televised interview that Kathy and Bob Sutton participated in, and they were not shy about casting blame on Summit Quest. We spent our whole life protecting her, and then together we lived with for the rest of our lives that we sent her to a place where they didn't protect her the way we would have. As far as I'm concerned, she was murdered. Kurt Olson, who was at Summit Quest with Michelle, also spoke with Wendy Takuda for that show. She was breathing rapidly and more like panting like a dog. Back at home, Kurt Olson hasn't really dealt with the death he witnessed. Although he insists he got a lot out of Summit Quest, he is clearly troubled by the way the counselors handled Michelle. She thought she was faking, and so she started making jokes about how bad she was acting. I asked Kathy how Gail responded once the story started to come out that Summit Quest had sent children out into the desert with counselors who did not know the area and without enough water or functioning radios. I don't think I don't think it mattered to her. Well, just think of Wendy Takuda, that's that, that program there, where she says to Wendy, if they hadn't got lost... When they did, the radios would be fixed. It was a timing problem. I mean, how stupid is that? Kathy is referring to that same Wendy Takuda segment. Gail Palmer was also interviewed. The director of Summit Quest, Gail Palmer, is still putting out the fires. At that time, we had a CB radio that had broken uh, as soon as we recognized it. Had Michelle not died when she did, the CB would have been fixed and the communication would have been reestablished. It was a timing problem. Gail addressed the question about why the other kids in the program were not allowed to give Michelle water. They can't share water, Wendy. Would you want somebody drinking out of your water bottle? That's for health reasons. To those who knew what was really going on at Summit Quest, that kids were losing unhealthy amounts of weight, not given enough water, that they weren't provided toothbrushes or tampons or toilet paper, Gail's claim about health concerns would seem ridiculous, even offensive. But so many people did not know what was really going on out there in the desert. Amanda's parents were outraged at all the accusations being brought against Summit Quest, the program that they believed saved their daughter's life. In fact, Amanda's mother, Susan, wrote Kathy Sutton a letter trying to convince Kathy to stop speaking out against Summit Quest. Then you have Amanda DeRose, whose mother sent me a letter stating that I need to really just accept that Michelle died because of her date rape and I shouldn't have sent her that program in the first place. I guess she was a good friend of Gail, so it's understandable that, you know, they would team up. I have seen the letter that Susan wrote Kathy, and this is what it says. If Michelle's main problem stemmed from her rape, then she didn't belong in Summit Quest. She should have stayed home for love, support, and counseling from a certified doctor. I feel, in trying to remove the guilt that any parent feels, you are attacking a program that has saved and helped hundreds of children. I agree one death is a great loss. But runaway children die every day. Children on drugs and children sexually abused. 
This program gives parents who love their child and have nowhere else to turn an option and a way to maybe have some part of their child back. With all of this bad press, Gail worried that if parents started to believe that Summit Quest had actually killed a 15-year-old girl, that enrollment would decline. Gail had a lot to lose, money and her reputation. And while the criminal investigation into Summit Quest was ongoing, Gail couldn't do much about that except wait and see if she would be charged with the crime. But she could fight the bad press. What she needed was a pro-Summit Quest voice, someone who had been through the program, someone who could attest to how great it was. And that became Amanda DuRose. After months of not being allowed to even speak about Michelle's death, suddenly Amanda was made to talk about it repeatedly in interviews. And my parents were always like, you can only say good things. So all the interviews were always like, you know, the parents were there or Gail, Gail was even there on one of my interviews. So I, everything I had to say was, oh, it was wonderful. I loved it. You know, we, we learned so much. It totally changed me. <laughs> yeah. Everything and anything they wanted to hear, it was said. Because the whole time you're like, I'm so going to say whatever I need to, to not go back. In these interviews, Amanda raved about Summit Quest. She said she loved it. It saved her life. She would be dead without it. She did this because she had to. Because she was told if she didn't say these things, she would be sent back to Summit Quest. And that was the last thing Amanda wanted. Unfortunately, we don't have recordings of these interviews to use on the podcast. But Amanda told me a few years back that she watched one of them, and it made her feel sick. I literally, like, just got physically ill in my stomach because all I could see was me sitting up there and just lying. It was almost, like, grotesque to watch yourself and going, oh, my God, look how much I was convinced, or was I, you know, wondering, like, why would I say all those things that I didn't feel? But, oh, my God, watching it, it was like I was a different person, you know? And I couldn't even watch the rest of the interview because it was just so full of lies. The only thing Amanda cared about at the time was never being sent back to Summit Quest. She would do or say whatever she had to. It's a lot to go through and then to have to come back and be afraid of being sent back and then to just say and do whatever you're told, you know, and go and do interviews and say that it was great. And that it saved you. It saved your life. You were going to die on the streets if you didn't go. Like, that's the whole way they would act. Like, we were just all so delinquent that, you know, we were just a week away from being found raped and murdered on the street or overdosed on drugs. That's how they presented us as students to everyone around. Who is they? Uh, Summit Quest, Gail Palmer. During all those interviews, it was always, you know, we were just like the dissident children that she saved. What were what were your feelings about Gail Palmer after you got back and you started having to do these interviews with her? The same way that you would be with anybody that abuses you, terrified of them always. Even when you knew they had no control anymore, it was like this conditioning they did where Gail was our savior all the time, you know? Uh, my parents still saw her that way, and to this day, my parents still believe they saved my life by sending me there. Amanda is a mother now herself. And while she told me she would never send her child to a program like Summit Quest, 
She does have some understanding of why her parents chose to believe that it helped her. When your kid's lost and you're scared that, you know, you don't have control and that something bad might happen, you know, you're willing to do anything. And I think that Gail Palmer, she took advantage of people who were vulnerable and didn't know what to do with their children. And it sounded like a perfect answer. The irony I see in Amanda's story and in others I've spoken with, Tamira, Philip, even Deborah McMahon, speaking about her son John, is that they all said the same thing to me. These programs promise to reunite parent and child, to repair broken relationships. And yet it's so clear that they only left them more broken. Amanda said the only reason she still speaks with her parents today is because she has fought to have a relationship with them. But the fact that they sent her to Summit Quest is still a wound that hasn't healed. Amanda has been through a lot in her life, including years of sexual abuse as a child and then later the murder of a loved one. But she says still, Summit Quest was the worst. I've gone through a lot of things now at this point, but it still takes the cake. Still nothing has related to this level of of abuse in my mind. What do you think about Gail Palmer now, looking back? I think that she is just evil. I think she she's done the same thing everyone else. You know, she she really believes that she saves these kids, but she doesn't. She just traumatizes them to the point where they're just submissive. She's a bad person. She's a master manipulator, I'll tell you what. Gail was very good at convincing people that she was in the business of saving lives, and parents were still enrolling their kids at Summit Quest. But Kathy Sutton was determined to get Summit Quest shut down. She told me that something had to change after Michelle's death. How could it be that her daughter died, and yet Summit Quest was able to keep operating? Kathy decided if no one else was going to stop Gail Palmer that she would have to do it herself, but it would not be easy. That woman will stop at nothing. She did not want her program shut down. She did not want to lose out on making that $14,000 per child. She would step on Michelle, step over Michelle to get what she wanted, which was that program and the money. That's next time on The Opportunist. The Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with Peisha Eaton, Natalie Gregory, and Sarah Dalglish. Colin Thompson is our executive producer. Anton Doty is our editor and music editor. The show is mixed and mastered by Matt Sewell. The Opportunist show cover art is by Joel Hassemeyer. Our theme song is Waltz for Zechariah from the album Show Late. Do you have a suggestion for the show and opportunist that you want to hear us cover? You can email us at theopportunist at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. Cast. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash cast plus. Follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music.